and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, saying, Come and see. Thunder Radio with Christian J. Pento. Okay, praise the Lord, you guys, and welcome. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we're going to talk about a number of different things. We'll talk about what's happening in the Middle East. But uh, there is a breaking story that I wanted to include on today's program, and that is the final release of the Nashville Shooters Manifesto, the manifesto of Audrey Hale, that many people here, we're here in Tennessee. I mean, we, we are based just outside of Nashville. We are within probably 30 to 45 minutes of where the terrible event happened. Now, this took place back in March of this year, and almost immediately there were people talking about how there was this manifesto and why wasn't the manifesto being released to the public. Um, This has now been leaked through Stephen Crowder at Louderworth Crowder. He and and, uh, Alex Jones have a website called The Mug Club, and... uh, it's jonescrowder.com, I think, is the uh, the web address. But anyway, they're, they're spreading this out all over the news. This is, uh, this is making its way uh, through Newsweek, through mainstream media. They are all grabbing hold of this story because, of course, people have been waiting since March for the release of this manifesto because the manifesto, you know, when... When other manifestos that were left behind by people who are white supremacist type people, those are leaked almost immediately. Those are are shown to the public immediately. But now this one was withheld because this was a transgender girl who was trying to transition to being a boy, a man, uh, and then committed this horrible, horrible crime. Well, now... Her manifesto is being released. It's been leaked and it's unbelievable. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. It's full of all of this left wing Marxist inspired anti white propaganda about, I mean, literally, she's saying in her diary, and she planned this whole thing for well over a year. So this was not a spur of the moment thing that she did. And I don't even think you can say that it happened because Tennessee had passed a law against trans surgeries and so on. Because she was planning this whole thing long beforehand. Long beforehand. And uh, but she says things in her diary like, quote, those crackers going to private fancy schools. Well, she starts by saying, kill those kids. Those crackers going to private fancy schools with those fancy khakis and sports backpacks with their daddy's Mustangs and convertibles. Blank you little. And then uses a bad word. We're not going to read it out loud. I wish to shoot you. Blankety blank. Your mop yellow hair. Want to kill all you little crackers, she says. Okay, and uh, then then says with your white privileges. So she is communicating all of this radical left wing hatred, this anti white hatred against white culture here in America. And really, it's the narrative that you have in all of these countries that are historically white countries. Same kind of uh rhetoric that's going on in Western Europe, many parts of Western Europe, same kind of thing that's going on in South Africa, in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe, etc. This is all part of the Marxist takedown or attempted takedown of Western civilization. 
and the historically Christian world uh, and, and what, what has been called the free world for the greater part of the last hundred years. But the reason they've withheld it, it appears, is because she was a product of all of this evil programming that is going on in the public schools, in the colleges, in the universities, where they are teaching young people to hate Western civilization and white culture, even though she herself was white. She herself was white, and white people taught to hate themselves and their own culture, to, to commit cultural civilization suicide. That's why I've said, I've said it for years, that the, the most powerful weapon that the communists have in this struggle for civilization is propaganda, is psychological warfare. Because psychological warfare compels people to do things that they would not ordinarily do. And in some cases to commit extreme acts of violence. But notice what, what has happened in Israel, where this you have this uh, attack from Hamas committing all of these horrible atrocities against men, women, and children. Horrible, horrible things that they're doing. And there's and, and now because everybody has an iPhone, so much of this is being recorded and people are posting it on different sites because, of course, they want people to know how horrific this is. And yet the reaction from people who are pro-Palestinian is that supposedly Israel deserves all of this. That's what we're hearing. And now with that in mind, I want to play I'm going to play some audio here. This is from a woman who was interviewed shortly after this Audrey Hale incident happened earlier this year and listen to her response, how she turned this whole thing around and blamed Christians for what Audrey Hale did. Listen. You have a transgender person that was finally pushed so far and traumatized so much by the Christian conservative right that they snapped. They did the unthinkable, the unfathomable, and they murdered children. And now that very group of Christian right conservatives will use that transgender person as a poster for why transgender people are evil and need to be eliminated. Even though they created the environment that allowed that monster to develop, they are equally responsible. And this is the methodology this entire country has been built on since the beginning. We did it to the indigenous. They were labeled as savages because they wanted to protect their way of life, their land, their lives. We did it to black people and continue labeling them as angry and violent because they didn't want to be enslaved. And then any time a marginalized group puts together enough organization and wherewithal to gain real political power, our government goes in and absolutely decimates them. They did it to the Black Panthers. They did it at Rosewood, Tulsa, and so many more. And then they use Christianity because they don't believe the Christian teachings. They use Christianity to justify their hate and get all of us to buy into it. And it allows them to continue making the monsters that they need to feed us fear and keep us from going after the root cause of all of these monsters. And that is whiteness and white supremacy. Okay, so this is a, a woman who had posted this or somebody had posted it on in, on TikTok. Sorry, TikTok, and it was posted somewhere on Twitter, which is now called X, uh, but the woman's name is not given. At any rate, you, you can hear the rhetoric. This is what the left is teaching in the schools, the colleges, the universities. This is what they're teaching. They are teaching that ultimately any problem that happens all comes down to white supremacy. When they say white supremacy, you have to remember they're not really talking about white people. They're talking about Magna Carta, the English Bill of Rights, and the U.S. Constitution. They're really talking about the Bible. They're talking about the Christian worldview of right and wrong. 
But notice what she does when she mentions Christianity. She says, oh, the Christians don't really believe the Christian teachings. Because for her, it's almost certain, she doesn't go into all of it, but it's almost certain that what she means is judge not lest you be judged and love one another. And that's it. It's a two verse version of the New Testament. And love, of course, means that you let people do whatever they want. And judge not means, again, no discernment about anyone other than those that you can say are haters, which is anybody who opposes you, opposes those on the left. Uh, and really what, what they resent is the law of God. They resent the concept of law and order and rights that are based on God's law, a system of God-given rights. That's what they're trying to get rid of. That's why all of this is just a communist form, a communist system of propaganda and lies intended to overthrow our country from within. That's what it's aimed to do. And it's really very, very disturbing to see how many people have been brainwashed by this. And we're seeing it now with these riots that are happening and these uprisings. And now these Palestinian radicals stormed the White House because they're angry at Joe Biden because Biden is not putting a stop to what Israel is doing in Gaza in terms of going after Hamas and destroying them. And we're being given this narrative that supposedly uh, Hamas is holding the poor Palestinian people hostage there in Palestine, yet we, we don't have any Palestinians that are coming out and saying that what Hamas did was horrible, evil, and wrong. They're, they're not really saying that. We're hearing these justifications for it, just like with this woman who gave all these justifications for Audrey Hale. You know, that it's not really her fault. It is the fault of the Christians. It's the fault of, you know, the same Christians who were attacked are now going to blame her when it was the Christians who created this whole problem to begin with. That's the argument. And it's the, it's the same argument with Hamas and the Palestinian, all of their violence, all of their hatred and their sole objective, which is the destruction of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And sometimes they'll try and say that they don't really want to kill Jews or to harm Jews, Jewish people. They'll say it's really about the state of Israel, but that's not the case. Anybody who studies the history of how the Jewish people have been treated in that part of the world, even prior to the establishment of the state of Israel, Anybody who studies it can very quickly learn. The Jewish people have been brutalized, mass murdered, demoralized for centuries by the Islamic world. But now what you have going on because of Israel's response to Hamas in Gaza, which generally I agree with, I generally agree with. We're going to talk on the program today about uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's comments. He is, he is very, very biblically minded, Old Testament minded on the issue. And he's making reference to in his speeches to what God said to ancient Israel about the Amalekites. He's faced a, a huge backlash from this because the references to the Amalekites, as we're going to see, God ordered ancient Israel, commanded them to wipe out the Amalekites entirely. In fact, King Saul lost his throne because he would not completely annihilate the Amalekites. He kept Agag, their king, alive and uh, with some of the livestock. And as a result, the prophet Samuel tells him that he's going to end up losing his throne. Then Samuel says, bring me Agag. And Samuel, the prophet, takes a sword and he hews Agag in pieces there in front of Israel, puts him to death. All right, let's hear what Prime Minister Netanyahu actually said. Remember, this is him speaking with an interpreter, communicating his words in English. Listen. 
You must remember what Amalek has done to you, says our Holy Bible, and we do remember and we are fighting our brave troops and combatants who are now in Gaza or around Gaza and in all other regions in Israel are joining this chain of Jewish heroes, a chain that has started 3,000 years ago from Joshua ben Nun until the heroes of 1948, the Six-Day War, the 70th October war and all other wars in this country are hero troops. That's what Netanyahu said. Part of it, his speech is a little bit longer than that. So you can always go and listen to the rest of it. But let's let's look at these references to Amalek. The reference in Deuteronomy is in Deuteronomy chapter 25. We read in verse 17 where the scripture says, God says, remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way, when ye were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. All right, so think about what the Lord is saying. Think about what God is saying. He's saying you're going to blot out the memory of Amalek. Thou shalt not forget it. God tells him not to forget this. That's in Deuteronomy. Now you fast forward we get to the time of King Saul, who's the first king of ancient Israel. So here's what God says in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 2. We read, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass, or donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen, etc. And then it goes on from there. And then he goes to the city of Amalek and he makes war against them. Okay, so notice what God is saying now. God is calling for... Uh, his wrath to be executed against the Amalekites because of what they did to Israel. Now, what do they do? Well, they they attack them in their weakest part. They attack them in their hindermost part when they when they were weary and they were not well able to defend themselves. That's what they did. They took advantage of their weakness to go and slaughter them. Well, think about what Hamas has just done to Israel. Just think about what they've just done. They, well, they did exactly that. They didn't go and, and, and fight with IDF soldiers who were armed and ready. No, they, they went and they specifically targeted uh, civilian men, women, and young children, babies. That's what they did. They targeted infants. And not only have the, did the Palestinian Hamas killers do this, but you have had Palestinians uh, in the Middle East, across Europe, and even sadly, tragically here in the United States that have made some of the most awful comments about these killings, where they are in a whole variety of ways trying to justify the horrors that Hamas is guilty of toward the Israeli people and toward the civilian population. Now they're claiming that the response from Netanyahu and the IDF in terms of bombing Gaza, going after Hamas, they're determined to completely annihilate Hamas from the face of the earth. And uh, they're complaining that there are Palestinian civilians who are being harmed as a result. And so now Israel's being accused of war crimes and all this other kind of stuff which that's a whole argument. We could sit here and talk about the so-called war crime 
argument, which is a very, uh, you know, that is that is a a very controversial argument, the whole concept of war crimes uh, and how it's used by globalists who are often accusing people of war crimes when they're simply waging war as people have waged war for thousands of years and they're calling it a crime. But if you study the whole history of war crime accusations, you realize it's 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 almost entirely arbitrary. Now, I, I, I would not say that about the judgment at Nuremberg. I think the Nuremberg trials going after the Nazis for what they did was justifiable because the Nazis were unnecessarily cruel and just downright wicked in so much of what they did. Uh, and they were targeting their own civilian population. This was, this was an attempt to uh, annihilate all of the Jewish people just because they were Jewish. So, uh, but, but this was, it was not a response to an attack that happened on Germany. It's not as though a foreign country attacked Germany and then in response they went and they fought back. That's, I think, the difference. Also, it's important that we remember that this is not the ordinary judgment in warfare that God commands. Uh, typically, the typical manner of warfare that God commanded Moses and Joshua and so on, was to fight an enemy. Typically, you destroy the men and then you take the women and children captive. That's generally the manner of warfare. What God commands with the Amalekites is something very specific and does not necessarily apply to every enemy that Israel faced in the Old Testament. All right, let's go to our commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about these issues and also give an update on the new documentary, American Jesuits, right after this. Adullam Films presents a stunning new documentary, The True Christian History of America, exploring the Bible-based Christian origins of the early American view of freedom, tracing the principles of liberty back to England and the Great Reformation. For many years, our schools have taught that the founding of our Republic was from the Deists or the Enlightenment in France. But is that truly the case? Did the Enlightenment first declare no taxation without representation or trial by jury? Were they the champions of freedom of speech or of the press or the right to bear arms? And why did Samuel Adams declare that the reign of political Protestantism would commence just before signing the Declaration of Independence? Filmed on location in both the United States and Europe, the True Christian History of America is now available at adullamfilms.com. That's adullamfilms.com. Now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Adullam Films presents an exciting new documentary, Bridge to Babylon, part three in an award-winning series on the untold history of the Bible. Dr. Jack Moorman calls it a masterful presentation of what is the single most important issue facing Christians today, the defense of the Bible as the Word of God. Why was the Bible changed in 1881? Why have so many churches abandoned biblical inerrancy? And what direction are scholars taking the scriptures today? Learn the truth in Bridge to Babylon, the sequel to A Lamp in the Dark and Tares Among the Wheat. Bridge to Babylon is now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Noise of Thunder Radio.
Okay, we are back. Praise the Lord, you guys. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we're talking about what's going on in the world. Are we on the brink of World War III? Incredibly, there are people who, and of course, I've been saying this for a little while now, but uh, who argue that we are, if we're not in the middle of World War III, World War III is inevitable. There's even a, uh, an article posted on uh, Worldview Report that says World War III is inevitable. Uh, because look at all of the, the conflicts that are going on across the globe right now. And here in our country with the United States, this massive flooding of our southern border. Analysts are saying that we, we simply do not yet realize what the long-term consequence of this is going to be. And that in the next 12 months, we as a country might be facing turmoil, the likes of which we've never seen before. We've got to be in prayer and ask for God's help during this troubling time, because what can any of us do? How do you stop millions of people when you're an ordinary citizen and the government, because of Biden's usurping White House policies, where he's now, apparently, he and all of his cronies have declared open borders here in the United States. So what does the ordinary American do? Well, at moments like this, really all we can do is pray. We can speak out, but we've got to lift our eyes to heaven and look to Almighty God, recognize that our country has been guilty of many, many sins. Many sins. There are things that are going on now uh, we talked about that situation with Audrey Hale, but the transgender horrors are still ongoing in the schools and targeting our young people. It's, it is a terrible, terrible tragedy that's going on. And there's, there's no end in sight that this government, the people who are currently controlling the offices of government, that they are going to repent and turn away from this. On, on the contrary, they are trying to normalize it more and more. That's the part that is so difficult. All right, now I wanted to give an update on our new documentary, American Jesuits. We are pressing for the final editing to be completed. I've been working night and day. I've had uh, uh, days where I'm working till one, two, three o'clock in the morning, trying to bring this thing to a conclusion. We've had a number of setbacks. We've had a number of distractions. Uh, I, I've told a few of our friends what has been going on with uh, two of our cars breaking down. We had a kitchen, literally the kitchen sink began to flood in the kitchen uh, and the garage door broke down. Two of our kids have been dealing with illness it's just been one thing after another, all in a very short period of time. Just here in the last three to four weeks, it's been uh, unbelievable. You just have to deal with one problem at a time and get through it. But we are, we are pressing on and bringing the film to a conclusion. Right now, we are hoping to have the whole thing finished by the end of November. That is the plan. Please pray for us. Please pray for us. As, uh, as, a, as I heard a, a minister say some time ago, whenever the Lord gives you something important to do, you can bet the devil is going to create all sorts of distractions. And that is what seems to have been happening. But uh, we just press on. Praise the Lord, we press on. All right, so I wanted to go back to the issue of what is going on with our southern border. We're just seeing, we're, we're seeing footage and hearing reports of daily, just thousands upon thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of these illegals pouring into our country at unprecedented levels. We've never seen anything like this before that I can think of. And many of these who are coming in, I mean, yes, there are many of them from Mexico, but now we're getting these fighting age males from the Middle East who are most likely Muslim, jumping the border, coming into our country, that all of this is heating up for what people are predicting are going to be attacks on the United States of America as a result 
one, of us having an open border, but two, because of U.S. support for Israel in this conflict with uh, Hamas and Gaza and now all of these uh, uprisings from these Palestinian mobs that have turned up. I mean, who would have thought? We have hundreds of thousands of Palestinian crazy people running around our cities shouting and screaming uh, and and protesting and tearing down signs and I mean they they were they smashed up a car on the freeway it's just unbelievable but what's happened is they have been bringing these people in for many years they've been bringing them in quietly and getting them into our into the heartland of America, into some of the major cities. But uh, as uh, Steve Emerson showed in his book and his documentary, Jihad in America, they are quite often moving these people into the heartlands of America, moving them into the small communities like Dearborn, Michigan and Hamtramck, Michigan, Hamtramck that has now been almost entirely taken over by the Muslims because they, they have 100% control of the local city council and government there. Okay. And uh, we talked about this before, how uh, when a few years ago, when Hamtramck, their government became 100% Muslim, the left-wing media was celebrating it as diversity. Well, what kind of diversity is when everybody in charge is Muslim? How is that diverse? It's, it's just the psychological warfare that goes on through the media. But they are bringing them in. Now you've got people who are, are warning that what they're going to try to do, that what's really going to happen is, and this has been the playbook for the globalists, where these 9-11 wars have no purpose at all. I've talked about this before. Because if you if you watch my presentation with Worldview Weekend or if you listen to our audio CD, Hitler's Jihad, you'll see Hitler's Jihad, the socialist plan for Islam to invade the West. This a lot of this goes back to World War Two. And today they're not teaching people in schools, but they should be that your Palestinian Muslims were allies of the Nazis during the war. They were not just friendly to each other. They were allies. There were tens of thousands of Muslim soldiers in the German army. They were called the SS Handschar units. And they their emblem was a swastika with a scimitar. They wore the red fez and they were part of Hitler's fighting force during the war. You had many Nazis that converted to Islam. Hitler had said, you can go look up this quote. He had said, the problem is in the West, we got the wrong religion, he said. Why did it have to be Christianity, he said. He said he wished that the Muslims had defeated the Christians at the Battle of Tours so that all of Western Europe could have been Islamic because he thought Islam was a much better religion for world conquest. Yes, that was Hitler's view. Don't let anybody tell you Hitler was some kind of Christian. He was officially a Roman Catholic, but his sympathies were toward paganism. He believed in the pagan god Wotan, the Norse god Wotan, and he also preferred Islam as a religion above Christianity. Now, I believe that, and I present other evidence as well. There's the book, if you don't know it, Islam and Nazi Germany's War by David Modadell. That's the book you should look for. But there, there's no question where you've got many old black and white photos of the Palestinian Muslims with the Nazis. They even had flags that would have like Nazi emblems on it with the word Palestina for Palestine. So the, the, they were allies openly. Al-Husseini, the Grand Mufti, you'll see that picture. Many of you have probably already seen it. Black and white photo of Hitler and the Grand Mufti, Al-Husseini. Look it up if you've never seen it. But Al-Husseini wanted to 
imitate what Hitler was doing in Europe in the Middle East. He wanted to build concentration camps to systematically kill the Jews out of the Middle East. At the end of the war, Hitler's favorite commando, a guy named Otto Skorzeny, is the one who taught Yasser Arafat and the members of the PLO, taught them the, the uh, guerrilla-style warfare tactics that would become modern Islamic terrorism. There's even a book called The Skorzeny Syndrome about Skorzeny, who was called Hitler's favorite commando. He was called the most dangerous man in Europe because he did all of these uh, guerrilla-style operations, but that had a powerful political impact. That's what he was known for. And you see, this is what he taught to the Muslims, how you can take small groups of men, give them training, you know, take a handful of guys, and then have them go do something that is politically powerful, like what happens with the, uh, the 1972 Olympics, where the Palestinian Muslims go in and they ho take hostage the Israeli Olympic team. And they hold them hostage. So it's, it's a big international story. And then they end up killing all the members of the Israeli team, tragically. Terrible set of circumstances. But that is pure Skorzeny. Once you understand Skorzeny and his philosophy of, of warfare and how he approached it, because Skorzeny, after the war, trained. He worked for the Israelis. He worked for the Americans, for us. He worked for... Uh, governments and military forces training commandos in his methods of warfare for years after the war. You look him up, you'll see. He worked for many different governments. But he was a Nazi commando. Nazi commando, but he is the one. You, you look up Skorzeny, once you become familiar with his methods, and then you study what happened on 9-11... In my opinion, that's pure Scorzani. That's just, that's right up his alley, as it were. That is exactly the kind of thing that he would have trained people to do. Because it involves a small company of men. They do something that's going to have a big political impact. And that's exactly what they want. In fact, here's a story on... The website, the Rare Foundation, Rare is spelled R-A-I-R, Rare Foundation USA. It's a conservative news site, and they report in France. You've got these pro-Palestine people on the French subway, and they're shouting, and they're saying this is an ordinary day on the, the subway. And they shout, uh, blank the Jews, long live Palestine, we are Nazis and we are proud. That's what they say. That's what these pro-Palestine people are shouting. Now, why would they say we are Nazis and we're proud? I believe the reason they're saying is because they know that the Palestinian Muslim movement was always aligned with and in an alliance with Hitler during the war. In fact, I've seen this for a couple of years now, but the next time here in, in the months ahead, when we get to the month of May, May the 8th is VE Day or sometimes just V Day, but the celebration of the Allied victory during World War II over the Nazis and Japan, etc. When that day comes, when they celebrate the victory during World War II, as they've done, for many years now, you watch the reaction from Ilhan Omar, from Rashida Tlaib, from Mayor Khan over in London. You watch the reaction of the Muslims. They do not celebrate that day with the rest of us. Why? Because they know that their Islamic ancestors were working with Hitler, but they wanted Hitler to win. They've, they're not on the side of Churchill and uh, FDR and the Allied powers, not at all. Remember something, a lot of people don't know this because they changed the history books, but if you look it up, uh, Winston Churchill, during the war, 
had to choose a song at one point that was to be played during a certain presentation. He wanted to choose a song that represented the interests of the United States, England, and France. And the song that he chose was Onward Christian Soldiers Marching On to War with the cross of Jesus going on before. That is what he chose. And that's you find that song being played in the uh, documentary series, Why We Fight. Onward Christian soldiers marching on to war. Because Churchill, who was a historian, now whatever his own private theology was, that's another matter. But he identified himself with the historic Christian Protestant view of, uh, of England and of the Western world, Western Europe. He knew, of course, he, he himself was a historian. So he knew you, you can't marginalize Christianity. But he believed that that song represented best the allied view. And you look at the, uh, the, the propaganda posters that were created during World War II by our own American War Department, and one of them shows the Nazi hand with the SS symbol stabbing a dagger into a holy Bible, and it says, this is the enemy. It's one of the more famous posters from that period. Very, very clear. The Nazi socialism that was aligned with Islam was the enemy of Christianity and the Bible. And as it was then, so it is today. And that's what's going on. This is the, the undercurrent of World War III. It is a, conti a continuation of what went on during World War II. Those conflicts have never ended. And the fact that as a result of World War II, one of the things that happened as a direct result was that the Jewish people were granted their own homeland in part because of what had happened during the Holocaust. And Jews who were being persecuted across Europe, they were trying to go from, you know, to one country versus another. They, they were turned away. In fact, if you read the account, the historic account of a ship called the MS St. Louis, this is off the uh, history history.com website where it says a ship of Jewish refugees was refused U.S. landing in 1939. The more than 900 passengers of the MS St. Louis were denied entry by immigration authorities in multiple countries in the lead up to the Holocaust. So you had Jewish people who were trying to get out of Europe, but they were being denied entry into multiple countries. And of course, uh, Great Britain, that had control, by the way, of the territory that is today called Israel. Why? Because they defeated the Turks who had had control of it before. And the Turks had to surrender that territory, so it was under British control. So the British could do with it whatever they wanted. Uh so it's no, we, we, we completely reject the idea that that land somehow or other belongs to the Muslims. Now, that land was called the land of Israel for more than a thousand years before the prophet Muhammad was ever even born. And even at that, even though the uh, Muslims got control of it in the Middle Ages, they only did so by conquest because they invaded and took it by force. Well, then they lost it by force during World War I to the British. Now a historically Christian country had con control of it. And yes, there were people there who would have been influenced by the uh, view of people like John Gill and uh, Dr. H. Grattan Guinness, who fully believed that Bible prophecy foretold how the Jews were going to re-enter their ancient homeland. And so a homeland for the Jews was proclaimed. And of course, the whole situation is more complicated than we're going to talk on the talk about on the program today. But uh, nevertheless, 
Part of the problem was Jewish people had nowhere to go when they were suffering this persecution. Yes, of course, for a variety of reasons, they needed their own homeland. And of course, that land was the land and is the land of ancient Israel. That's the land of King David, of Joshua, of Jesus, the apostles, etc. And of course, that is the ancient Jewish homeland. It's entirely uh, reasonable that they should return to their land, even after so many centuries, especially when God ordained it in prophecy. That's our view. Uh, we do not believe that the Palestinian Muslims have any equal claim on the city of Jerusalem or the land of Israel. We don't. And part of the reason why I have limited sympathy for what's going on in Gaza, I don't agree with the people who are, who are against what Israel and the IDF are doing, their, their retaliation and the measures that they're taking to destroy this evil and destructive force. And why? Because what Hamas is guilty of and what the Palestinians are guilty of, in my opinion, is far, far worse than what we read of about the Amalekites in the Old Testament. At least from what we, what we have available, there may be additional information about the Amalekites that we don't know. But just based on what's written, what the Palestinian Muslims have been doing, they teach their children from the earliest age, from the time they are old enough to think or speak. They teach them to hate the Jewish people. Now, I worked as an editor for uh, Carol Matriciana on one of her projects years ago. Uh, it's been more than 20 years ago now. Uh, but it was called The New Barbarians, Training Children to Kill. And this was a video. I was the editor on it. But I part of my job as the editor was to go through hours and hours of footage of what goes on in that part of the world. Footage that had been captured by a French filmmaker and we had access to it and we were going through it and it was just unbelievable how the children there from such an early age, three, four, five years old, are just indoctrinated by their parents, by their community, by the schools, by the television programs, virtually everything is aimed at teaching those kids to hate the Jews and want to annihilate them. And remember something, part of their view that we have to remember is they have this saying over there called, you know, first the Saturday people, then the Sunday people. That's what they say. There's even a book called Saturday People, Sunday People, uh, written by a Christian woman who spent years over there. So first, the Saturday people, of course, are the Jews who worship, who have the Sabbath on Saturday. And then the Sunday people are the Christians. We who have the Lord's Day on Sunday. And so their view is first, they want to kill all the Jews. And then afterwards, they want to kill all the Christians. That is literally what they teach. And it's just remarkable to me that we have people who profess to be Christian who are, in, who are in any way defending this bloodthirsty, murderous, evil movement because it is an evil, wicked movement from top to bottom, the Palestinian Muslim movement. In fact, the, the, the Palestinians are so evil and wicked and contrary in their whole demeanor and way of life, the other Muslim countries do not want them to come into their countries. Their fellow Muslims do not want them. Even though, interestingly enough, their fellow Muslims, they will, they'll be galvanized like they are right now. I mean, there's this huge rally that Erdogan is having over there in Turkey, or he, he had it already, because he's saber-rattling now, calling for war against Israel. And this could be if Gog and Magog is going to happen in our lifetime, th these events could be leading up to the Gog and Magog war. 
So again, I say if, and this is for students of prophecy, obviously, but just think about how for the past 2000 years, a scenario has not existed where these elements were all in place as they are right now. The geopolitical landscape has not been lined up like this for 2000 years. All right, so let's go over now because you have a lot of people debating whether or not Russia is Gog and Magog. By the way, the if you go study the phrase and the names Gog and Magog, it is generally agreed that it really is referencing Gog from the land of Magog. Then at some point, the Jewish scholars made a change there. And exactly why is debatable. But the exact identity of Gog and Magog or Gog from the land of Magog is not completely agreed upon by anyone. When you see certain prophecy teachers saying, oh, this is it. It's Russia and Iran or whatever. Remember, that's simply not agreed to across the board. You have people who have all sorts of different theories and they've had them for thousands of years. These theories go back centuries. All right, so I'm going to read here from one of my favorites, John Gill on Ezekiel, his commentary on Ezekiel 38 and verse 2. And here is what he says. He says, Concerning this prophecy, he says, quote, It is certain that the prophecy refers to what should be in latter years and in the latter days, phrases which respect the times of the Messiah, the gospel dispensation, and oftentimes the latter part of that, and even those times when the Jews shall return to their own land. Remember, John Gill is writing in the 1700s. He's writing about 200 years or so before the Jewish people returned to the land of Israel. So he was one of those prophecy teachers who foresaw in his discernment of prophecy that, yes, the Jewish people would one day return to their land. Okay? So this is what he says. Now, not everybody agreed to that. Not everybody agreed to that. That's why it's very important. Um. Okay, so he says, even those times when the Jews shall return to their own land and continue in it forever, as the preceding prophecy with which this is connected shows. And so the Jews always understand it of an enemy of theirs yet to come. Then he makes reference to another writer named Cocceius, C-O-C-C-E-I-U-S. Cocceius is of the opinion that the Romish Antichrist is meant, and that Gog signifying the covering or roof of a house fitly points him out, who puts himself between God and man as the roof is between heaven and earth, and who keeps out the light of divine things, the heat of love and rain of spiritual blessings from the church, and compares with this the veil over all nations." and the covering cherub. The veil over all nations, Isaiah 25, 7, and the covering cherub, Ezekiel 28, 14. Those are his scriptural references. All right, so, so he's, he's showing that there are other writers, Cotius being one of them, who have other views about this prophecy. And so this other writer thinks it's the Romish Antichrist is meant by Gog and Magog. And then he explains his reason why, that, that the Pope is, is like a, a roof on a house that is preventing God's blessing from being upon the church, if you will. But then John Gill says this. He says, uh, quote, But I rather think the Turk is here meant, the Eastern Antichrist, in whose possession the land of Judea now is and which, when recovered by the Jews, will greatly exasperate him, and he will gather all his forces together to regain it, but in vain. Okay? 
So that's John Gill's view. Now, the reason I think that's very significant today is because Turkey has, with Erdogan for years, been talking about reclaiming the city of Jerusalem. In fact, here is an article. This is from uh, back in 2020 from the website Modern Diplomacy. And on the Middle East, the headline says, quote, The battle for Jerusalem, Turkey's Erdogan stakes his claim. And the article says, quote, Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan didn't mince his words at this month's opening of parliament in his first assertion of a claim to a lost non-Turkic part of the Ottoman Empire. Mr. Erdogan declared that Jerusalem is Turkish. Quote, in this city, which we had to leave in tears during the First World War, it is still possible to come across traces of the Ottoman resistance. So Jerusalem is our city, a city from us, Mr. Erdogan said. Now, of course, it's not really a city from the Turks. Uh, it has elements from the Ottoman era there, but then it has elements from the era when ancient Rome was there in the time of Christ and the apostles. Uh, it has elements there that would go back to the time of King David, who is the person said to have established, fully established the city of Jerusalem as a Jewish city. But even before David conquered it, because that's what had to happen, David conquered the city from the Jebusites, took it over, and then made it into a Jewish city. Now, the reason I think that's important, the reason I think it's important for the Jewish people to recognize this and for us as Christians to recognize it is because the city of Jerusalem is only considered a Jewish city by the grace of God and according to the word of God. And it's all based on God's authority. And unfortunately, people in the world today don't want to have that discussion. They just don't. I honestly think we as Christians should dig into our Bibles and revive that argument because right now what's happening is everything is being judged according to this a Marxist militant atheist view of history and whose land, wherever you are on the earth, it doesn't matter. If the communists show up, what they do is they find out whoever it was that lived there before the people who have control of the land, doesn't matter where it is, and then they argue that the people who currently are on the land stole it from the people who were there before. And they use this as a political device uh, to try and undermine whatever government is in place. You see what I'm saying? Uh, but but how far back do you go? There, there's no place on the earth where you didn't have one people that overcame another people through war and conflict and this kind of thing, and one nation displaced another. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 2, God goes over this with Moses. Israel took control of the land of Canaan by displacing the Canaanites. And that's exactly what God wanted to happen. If you read Deuteronomy chapter two, God is describing how he used other people to displace earlier civilizations that were there before them. And this is all according to the judgment of God. And that what happens is if a people become corrupt, read Leviticus chapter 18. If a people become corrupted with unnatural and immoral practices, then God can bring a judgment against them and have them driven out of whatever land they're in. This is the conversation we should have here in the United States. And remember what David said when he was uh, on his deathbed talking to Solomon, who was the new king, and he said to Solomon, Solomon, my son, seek for and keep all the commandments of the Lord your God so that you may dwell in this good land and leave it as an inheritance for your children after you forever. But you see, obeying God, that's the key. That's the key. That's what the scripture tells us. And I believe that's as true today as it was thousands of years ago. 
All right. We are out of time. We are going to stop it there. Uh, that is going to do it for us today. That is our show. But we will be back next time as the Lord leads us. Until then, God bless you guys. I'm Chris Pinto, and you've been listening to Noise of Thunder Radio. Thunder Radio.